Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. I invite you now to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, We're continuing in our series, Romans Road. Uh, So last week, we started with the first uh, eight verses of Romans, and we looked at how God doesn't simply call us into the extraordinary things, that we don't have that pressure of being extraordinary all the time, but God's call for us is also that transformation of the ordinary everyday life into worship. And we're going to be continuing um, in Romans 12 today, looking at the way towards trust and the call towards sincere love. Before uh, starting our reading, let's turn to God in prayer. Guide us, O God, by the word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you are here this morning, hopefully you got the fill in the blank uh, for this message and Uh, We're going to have this fill-in-the-blank posted up here, uh, so if you miss them, hopefully we'll be able to catch them. If you're tuning in online, sorry, I forgot to mention this in the beginning, uh, but I've posted this on our Facebook page, so you can follow along on your device, or you can have that printed out if you like. I've labeled this message the way towards trust, uh, because I believe that trust is one of the biggest barriers of COVID-19. So we've already started. Trust being one of the biggest barriers of COVID-19. Uh, COVID-19 has eroded trust in our governments, 
also with our health authorities, our leaders and institutions. It's eroded trust between family members and friends, between churches and church members. The challenge that lies ahead of us is very much, how can we be a people who practice hospitality, who, who welcome others in, who bring a sense of belonging in the midst of a society that is grappling with what does it mean to trust one another? In, in contrast to the mistrust that we find in so many different places, Paul's call here in the church is for authentic love. Paul states, love must be sincere. And in case you're wondering which book that's in, that's in Romans, where our series is. In that first verse, love must be sincere. I think Paul's call for sincere love actually points us towards the antidote for mistrust. The love here that Paul is appealing to is a gospel-centered love. It's the type of love that we are called to give, not based on our strength and our own abilities, but on the love that we have already encountered through Jesus and God's love. It's a love that reminds me of another passage in Ephesians that Paul writes, where Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19, Writing to the church, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul's reminding here that love is a central thing, that we are called into a sincere love, but this love is rooted first in our encounter with God's love for us. To know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullest measure of the fullness of God. It is in the fullness of God's love that we experience first that we are called to respond in this sincere love. Looking at our passage then, um, I'm going to look at three different steps on the way towards trust. First, hate what is evil. Second, leave room for God's wrath, and third, practice hospitality. Hate what is evil. Uh, the one who loves hate, hates what divides. Uh, this acknowledges, first, that evil is out there, that it's a thing, that it exists, and we are against it. We, how do we show that we're against it? Well, we do that by not ignoring it when we see that evil is out there. We lament evil when we see that brokenness in the world. We confess when we see how we have caused that brokenness. We, we don't ignore it, we are willing to confront it. Now, I want to take a moment this morning to address the discovery of more unmarked graves of the residential schools in Canada. We, we see this as blatant evil. Evil is not just some theoretical thing that is out there. It, it's not something that Christians have made up to, to be able to heap guilt on other people. Evil is found in these broken places in our world. 
the fact that there were systems in Canada that caused this level of hurt and devastation, the fact that we are only uncovering some of these long-known facts now, all points towards evil. And what is the church's response to evil? Well, we've already said it's in the lamenting uh, when we see it and in confessing when we see how we have caused the brokenness. Of course, our line here doesn't finish with just hate what is evil. We're, we're not given this cycle where we just hate the evil things and we have a spiral of violence. We don't, we don't respond with evil by seeking revenge in the midst of it. Our passage continues that sentence, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. This is a helpful command, but we want to be careful in how we cling to what is good in the midst of evil. As people who seek restoration in the midst of the brokenness that we see, it's not always very clear the way forward. Uh, so uh, when I, in 2015, when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was happening, uh, I was a, hired as a summer intern at a church to be a point person to help educate the church on the stories that um, were being told. And that was a completely new process for me. I wasn't chosen um, because of my previous experience on it. it. I was chosen simply because I was a, a willing participant, and that was a time of education for me. And my job was specifically helping equip that particular community in understanding some of those stories, and it gave me a glimpse into some of the issues surrounding this. I felt at the end of a summer, I was only still scratching the surface, though. With that acknowledged, um, I just want to give a couple opening thoughts of what clinging to what is good might look like in this context. Uh, clinging to what is good might not look like going out and trying to help right away. Clinging to what is good might look like taking a closer look at our nation's history. It might mean listening to the, some of the stories that is being told about the church without defending ourselves. And, and my opinion, that last part, without defending ourselves, is actually a very important part in my experience allowing uh, the, the hurt to be spoken and allowing that to be absorbed within ourselves is part of the process of heart change. Clinging to what is good can involve the hard work of listening so well that it prompts us to see places where we can change, rather than assuming we know the changes that we should make. This, this might be just part of what it means to love in a way that is sincere. This could be a way in which we begin to mend the trust that has been broken. We listen, we lament when we see brokenness, we confess when we see the ways that we're part of it. Trust cannot exist in a place that ignores what is evil and clings to what is good. We are called to do both in this passage, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That leads us to our second point, leave room for God's wrath. This is important for us to acknowledge. Far too often we see religion just as something that is pro-good, but 
we don't like the idea of it being anti-anything. But here, we have a God who is anti-evil. And he will do away with it someday. Hating what is evil is coupled with something that we see later on in our passage. Do not repay evil with evil. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. That's in Romans 12, verses 17 to 19. Christians have a teaching about God as judge. Uh, We say this in the Apostles' Creed where Jesus will come one day to judge the living and the dead. And that often sounds like an awful sort of teaching to to practice, that we have a God who is judged, that we have a God who has wrath. Especially if our only understanding of humanity is that we are essentially all good. Uh, From our positions of, of privilege and power, this claim usually doesn't make sense in a middle class or upper class North Americans will have a much harder time trying to grasp this idea of God's wrath than the original audience of Paul's, uh, that Paul is writing to. The people that have things in common with Paul's original audience would have known what it is like to be displaced and oppressed and to be victims of an unjust system. When we open up our eyes to the atrocities in this world, when we lament the abuses like the deaths of children caused by residential school systems, when we see that racism still exists not just in our past but in our present, when we see these big and evil things, we can feel hopeless in response to it. We feel especially hopeless, though, if we've never paid attention to that part of the creed, if we've never looked at that part of our theology, because it's never really impacted us in the midst of ease. The call for Jesus to come as judge is an acknowledgement that evil is out there, and God is against it. It's also important to note that it's not neat and tidy, where there are certain things that are just evil and certain things that are good. It is messy in how evil has impacted both government, churches, and ourselves in our own lives. What does leaving trust mean? Or what does leaving room for God's wrath have to do with trust? Well, in the context of the passage, we're going to have to probably flip our understanding of the example that we were just using, because most of us are not coming from the place where we have been the ones that are hurt. We have to think of a context where we have been hurt. In this context, the biblical mandate is the treatment of loving the enemy. In our passage, it says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Freed from being people that need to seek revenge, we are not just freed into complacency then. So complacency isn't the alternative to revenge but actual love towards the person. We are not freed into complacency, but into love. The fact that Jesus will come to judge living the dead is not the Christian excuse to do nothing. It is the reason why we are free to love in ways that are often challenging. How might you be called to show acts of love towards those 
whom you have been hurt by, rather than seeking revenge. What are ways in which we, in, even in our own communities, in our families, in our church community, uh, the places where we are called not just to be complacent and being okay being around each other, but we're seeking restoration in the places where it's possible. Third, practice hospitality. Uh, there is a lot of things to choose from when we get to the, the third point of this passage. This is a rich passage with much more things that we could reflect on. I'm thinking particularly of the line, rejoice in hope, endure in suffering, and persist in prayer. That is a particularly potent uh, verse that I invite you to dwell on uh, throughout the rest of the week. But I want to focus on a different line. It's, it's a sentence that I like because I can remember it. It's just two words. Practice hospitality. This comes at the end of a long list of things here. And in many ways, it's a summary of all of these different things. The church is called to be those who practice hospitality. Now, if we think of hospitality simply as a narrow command, if we define hospitality too narrowly, then we've had to put hospitality on hold during the pandemic. If we think of hospitality simply as um, putting on an apron and, and making cookies and inviting people into our house, if that's our only understanding of hospitality, then we've been out of luck for the last 12 to 18 months. What does hospitality mean in this context then? Well, hospitality is creating a safe space where relationships can flourish. Hospitality is creating this safe space where relationships can flourish. It's a, it's a dynamic command. It's about flourishing. It's about creating safe spaces where trust can build. In this light, practice cost hospitality is a dynamic command. Uh, we are called to practice it. That's, that's an action that we are called into. Hospitality doesn't just happen. You need to put it into practice. You have to go out and do it. We can't just sit around waiting for hospitality to happen. We need to do it. In pursuing hospitality, there's a simultaneous call into creativity. We are called to be inventive in our hospitality. And that's another one, inventive. COVID, um, far from barring us from being able to be hospitable, actually calls us into greater creativity. It calls us into new ways that we can be creating safe spaces for people. It calls us to be inventive in our hospitality. Hospitality in the midst of COVID, just a couple of examples, has meant um, that those that have thought that wearing masks and COVID-19 in general is bogus, that they still wear them when they come to church. This has been an act of hospitality, ensuring those who are genuinely at risk and uncomfortable are able to come here. Practicing hospitality does not mean that you have to change your mind about these things, but it does demand that we are able to adjust our behaviors on behalf of others. Hospitality also listens to people who are concerned about things like government legislation, on things like wearing masks. 
It listens to those who are concerned about the impact that these restrictions have on churches and on spiritual well-being. Uh, hospitality may involve losing some of our comforts. Uh, we've talked about this early on, that this has been a season of sacrifice on behalf of others, and we have done this well. Uh, we have not been perfect. There has been times where we have been impatient hosts. But for the most part, living hope has practiced hospitality in sacrificing some things that are genuinely important to us. We've had restrictions on being able to sing together, not being able to gather for months at a time, ministries that we love have been put on hold for the time being. These are all sacrifices that we have made, not simply because the government has forced us, but because we recognize that this is an act of love and hospitality towards our neighbors and fellow church members. This has caused us to be inventive in our hospitality, to see hospitality in new ways. As restrictions loosen in the upcoming weeks and upcoming months, we are invited into that same call. This call stays the same of practicing hospitality. And that call is to continue to be inventive in our hospitality, whether it's happening quicker than we thought or whether the restrictions are slower than we thought. We are called into practicing hospitality. Another way that we've been pursuing hospitality is in the sanctuary mental health course that a number of us are doing right now. Uh, we recognize that there's many in our community that deal with mental health challenges. And we're three weeks into this course right now, so I've been learning things in there as well. Uh, one of the things that they open up is that uh, a mental health challenges addresses so much more than what we often think of um, when we think of mental health. Often we just think particularly of, of specific mental illnesses, but, but mental health is such a broader conversation of the whole person that needs to have attention to. And we recognize, or at least Health Canada recognizes, that one in five people will experience some form of a mental health challenge in any, any given year. And if that's accurate, and we have 300 to 400 people in, in our community, there's over 60 people that are dealing with a, a mental health challenge in each year in our community. Perhaps it's more than that in, in the midst of a year since this isn't just an average year. Now, I, I don't know the best way to respond in the midst of that, uh, but one of the ways that has been encouraging is those that have joined in on this conversation as we continue to pursue uh, a better knowledge of what mental health means and how we can be encouraging that for everyone. Practicing hospitality has taken other creative forms. Um, I know of another church who has done something called treat tag. So after uh, giving some parameters on what sorts of treats are safe, they encourage church members to take different uh, treats and to drop them off at other church members' doorsteps, simply saying tag and you're it. And they're encouraged to bring a treat and to use that as a way of blessing others to let them know that you are thinking about other people in the community. There's lots of different ways that we can be creative in facilitating this sense of belonging, creating a safe place for people to come and worship and grow in Christ. The question I want to leave us with then 
is how can we be inventive in our hospitality? As restrictions loosen, what does hospitality mean to you? It doesn't have to be inviting people into your homes. It can take all sorts of different shapes. In what ways can we be thinking outside the box and being hospitable? What ways can we be thinking outside the box when it comes to being hospitable? To summarize, in a world where there is much division, where trust has been hard to come by, Christians are called to an authentic and sincere love. We are called to grow in trust and in doing so acknowledge the evil in the world that dissolves trust. We are to orient ourselves towards good and cling to what is good, leaving room for God's wrath and freeing ourselves to love rather than having to respond in violence. And we are to practice hospitality. We are to make room for the other person, whoever they may be, being inventive in the ways that we can be a welcoming presence to facilitate belonging. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and all of its richness. I pray that the words of this passage continue to percolate in our minds as we go from here, that through your spirit you convict us into hating evil and clinging to what is good, that through your spirit you draw us towards new practices of hospitality. May we do this all as those already rooted in your love and grace. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.